Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Healthcare reform is the Gordian knot of our time. In an effort to control healthcare delivery and costs, lawmakers and bureaucrats have lacquered on regulations after statute, after administrative rules. Each new effort leads to an ever more complex system for physicians to navigate. Gone are the days of small practices. Those practices have been subsumed into large healthcare systems. Is value-based healthcare still possible? Where do we even start? Who shall lead us there? My guest today has given great thought to these issues and has some ideas. We will hear from him next on Sound Practice. Mac Knight is a physician, executive, and thought leader of national importance. He is a thought leader in value-based care process design. Dr. Knight is author of the newly released Healthcare Economic Reform, How and Why Physicians Must Lead Change Within Our Evolving Healthcare Economy. Dr. Knight, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. Appreciate you having me. Oh, it is our absolute pleasure. What is value-based healthcare? So I'm a big fan of Michael Porter at the Harvard Business School. And, you know, I used to have a boss who uh, said that uh, there was about seven ways you could define value, and there's probably even more than that. But uh, Porter describes it as simply quality per unit of cost. And uh, to me, that's a very simplistic definition, but I think one that's very relevant as the imperative across the healthcare industry these days is to uh, hold down costs, hopefully even decrease the escalating cost of healthcare, and at the same time either maintain or improve quality. So quality over cost to me is the simplest way to describe value-based healthcare. Um- interested before we get into the the meat of the the book uh about you and your journey as a a physician and leader could you please describe your journey uh professional journey sure i grew up in a little town in uh, southern idaho where my dad was the only physician in, in that community rural farming community and uh like a lot of wide eyed idealistic youngsters in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, I went off to college and medical school and uh, probably said, I don't know if I remember actually uttering these words, but at my med school interview that I wanted to be a doctor uh, because I liked science and wanted to help people. And uh, I, I woke up about 10, 20 years later uh, thinking, you know, I still like science, I still want to help people, but I'm not sure I'm fulfilling either one of those motivations and ideals uh, in the practice of medicine that I'm doing. I'm an internist. uh, About halfway through my clinical career, I switched and did hospital medicine. And as I saw it, I was caught up in a 
uh, industry in a system that uh, I very much admired. I think the American healthcare system does wonderful things, but it was caught in this economic milieu that uh, drove it away from, again, those very simplistic ideals of applying evidence-based science to patient care on a reliable basis and uh, trying to take people who were in need and doing something to address that need. And I just, I just didn't see that happening in the type of healthcare that the uh, economic drivers uh, were pushing us towards. And so I wrote this book and kind of described those feelings and what I think physicians uh, and really providers of all sorts uh, need to do to push back against that. Do physicians and patients agree on what top quality care looks like? I think for the most part, uh, certainly uh, there is a sea change, if you will, certainly in my professional lifetime, where my dad, for instance, practiced very paternal uh, kind of command and control medicine, if you will. And over my professional lifetime, the uh, it, we have moved more, thankfully, towards a patient-centric model. And I think, you know, sometimes there's risk where patients think that, you know, the uh, uh, ideal healthcare system is one of kind of uh, uh, not just patient-centric, but on-demand healthcare. And, you know, I read about this new treatment in, uh, 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 on Facebook, and I want you to prescribe that. And, you know, here's, here's the milligram dose that I need, and please have it in my pharmacy so I can pick it up on the way home. And, and that's, that's probably as bad as the paternalistic healthcare that my father practiced, but um, I think for the most part, most patients look to uh, healthcare providers to uh, uh, for their knowledge and their experience, and mostly for their compassion and caring and desire to to really uh, uh, again render uh, services that are, are valuable. And uh, uh, again. Unfortunately, I don't see either side on that equation, patients or providers, really being satisfied that they're doing that. It's hard to talk about anything in healthcare now without bringing up the pandemic. Mac, can you give me a little of your thoughts on how the pandemic has impacted the healthcare economy? So I think the effect of the pandemic has been to pull back the curtain and reveal the economic perversities, if you will, that were always there, but were not really evident to providers or certainly the patient population. And a good example of that is the large number of large healthcare systems 
that had to curtail uh, 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 surgical procedures and uh, other elective uh, services because they had to devote so many resources to caring for COVID patients. And what, again, I think that revealed is we had built this monster, if you will, of a healthcare system that was out there trying to capture the most volume they could possibly get of lucrative, highly profitable services. And I, I don't want to beat up on my cardiology colleagues or my surgical colleagues, but most of these were procedurally based uh, services that, uh, again, everybody wanted to get the biggest piece of that pie they could get of back surgeries or open heart surgeries or uh, neurosurgeries or oncological services. And when they had to shut all that down because their resources were overwhelmed with COVID patients, then it revealed that we didn't have a healthcare system that could really respond to a crisis like the pandemic. We had a healthcare system that was more designed to, again, go out there and capture profitable uh, business. And, um, you know, that I think was, if anything, the somewhat silver lining of the pandemic that it, it it revealed this. And now the big question is, do we go back to that same business model and that same, uh, uh, those, those, those same economic drivers, or do we say, wait a minute, maybe the healthcare system needs to move in a different direction? Most of us would prefer prevention over treatment. Unfortunately, we see much more treatment than preventative medicine. Is this the fault of the healthcare system or unengaged patients? I think it's uh, a little bit of both. And I think that, uh, you know, they, the, the powers that be, and I go into this in some detail in the book, whether you're talking about the the uh, rep, uh, resource value unit committee of the of the AMA or others that determine you know which services are really important and really highly valuable and therefore can drive the highest price in the system uh, and those services are not primary care they're not preventive services they're not behavioral health services their their services again that uh, are mostly procedurally oriented and mostly geared towards uh, things that can be done in a fairly standardized, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, assembly line approach to healthcare. Back there are millions of our fellow Americans who are now distrustful of the medical community. Does this lack of trust impact healthcare economic reform? Yeah, I think it really does. Um, you know, the 
the sad state of affairs, and one of the reasons I wrote the book is that I think my provider colleagues have really, at some point, abdicated their role to advocate for the patient and to deserve that trust, which historically uh, physicians in particular have, have been able to enjoy. And now you've got uh, a, a situation where they abdicated the business side of healthcare to uh, outside interests. And they are but a cog in the wheel, a, a, a piece of that machine. And that erodes the trust between the, the patient and the provider because they're like, well, wait a minute, you know, I, I go to the doctor, but he's part of this big system uh, that may be for-profit or not-for-profit, although I say in the book there's really not much difference when you get down to the, to the meat of the matter. And I go to this, this provider, and they want, me to ref they want to refer me for all these uh, specialty procedures. They want to refer me for all these tests. They want to refer me for all these, uh, they want to prescribe all these medications for me. Etc. And at the end of the day, I don't really feel like I'm getting much value out of all this, but yet I know the provider and the system he works for or she works for is getting very well reimbursed for doing all these things to me. And that obviously has a big erosion of the, of the trust between the patient and the, and the provider. Medicine's both art and science. And it seems to me that the value, at least from third-party payers, is placed exclusively upon the science. Do you agree with that? And if so, is there any value to be placed on the art? Yeah, I think, though, it's even worse than that. I don't think the third-party payers even put a lot of value on the science. They put a lot of value on, again, uh, the process of care delivery that can be uh, standardized, that can be very much uh, expanded and, and delivered in, in a high volume fashion. But you take, for instance, and I haven't reviewed this literature in a while, but, you know, the kind of the poster child for this is is back surgery. So, you know, you go to the science and you say, well, wait a minute, you know, is this really a good thing to be fusing people's spines to to treat what is probably one of the most common conditions in medicine, which is 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 chronic or intermittent low back pain. And there's never been a science that says, yeah, if you intervene with these really highly expensive, highly uh, remunerated back surgeries, that's a scientifically good thing to do. No, it's a good thing to do if you want to make a whole bunch of money, but the science really isn't there. 
And uh, what what uh, so you've got a system that not only ignores the science and in uh, uh, in for lieu of, in, in lieu of the profit, and they also ignore the art because the primary care doctor uh, is sitting there saying nobody wants to pay me to talk to people. <laughs> you know the proverbial fifteen minute office visit where you've got to do. 25 things plus documented all in an electronic medical record leaves no time for really the art of medicine. Traditionally, physicians own their own practices, I'm sure much like your, your father did. Uh, today, the majority of physicians are employees and are not practice owners. How does this fact impact physicians' ability to bring about economic reform uh, within the healthcare economy. Yeah, so I think the, you know, to me, and, and again, true confession, uh, full disclosure here, I ran a large uh, employed physician network for a large healthcare system for a number of years. And really we had two buckets of providers that uh, we employed. One were primary care providers who just simply, you know, would pound on my door and say, please, can you take me on? Because, uh, you know, there's no way I can cover the overhead uh, and do primary care and, you know, make a living that uh, I, I think justifies all the, the, the time and travail that I put into to going to medical school and residency training, et cetera. And then the other group were, were specialists who uh, um, said, well, you know, I, I, I'm getting a little bit squeezed by the economic changes, uh, but what I really think uh, is probably a smart thing to do at this point is to sell out to those that consider me uh, you know, a, a very, very valuable commodity. So you had a lot of orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons and uh, cardiac surgeons, et cetera, also seek out uh, employment arrangements uh, because they knew they could, they, they, they could demand high salaries. And, uh, you know, as I know, I don't need to tell an attorney, you know, there's lots of rules and stark regulations and everything like that. But nevertheless, they knew that, uh, you know, if, if, if you've seen the billboards in every city in the country, you know, come to us, we got the best heart surgery team in town and we got the five stars for this or that. And uh, everybody's competing for those for those specialists. So. Well, back you really anticipated my 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 next question do you believe that certain federal laws such as the stark laws that you you mentioned um distort the healthcare economy in harmful ways um yeah absolutely um i think and don't get me wrong i i uh you know am am not for kind of the uh one of my favorite authors, Atul Gawande, wrote about uh, the, you know, wild, wild west in McAllen, Texas, where, 
you know, there's no regulations and there's a, uh, outpatient imaging center on every, uh, you know, on every block. And, you know, it's just a free for all. I think there are some regulations as needed in any business, whether that's banking or healthcare, uh, that uh, need to kind of guard against the the uh, extremes and the uh, perversities that can come along. Healthcare, though, I think is just overburdened with regulation uh, to the point where, again, you know, take the electronic health record. So you've got financial penalties for uh, not using and implementing a uh, electronic health record system. And the rationale for that was, oh, wow, you know, it's going to make it such a, a, a better system uh, safety-wise. You know, doctor's handwriting is illegible, so we're going to get them to put everything into a legible health record system. And, you know, it's it's not built for that. It's not built to communicate between providers. It's built to document for billing purposes. It's never delivered on the promise of interoperability, which uh, providers like me who did hospital medicine for years would love to be able to get those outpatient records from the doctor's office down the street, but you can't do that because the systems won't talk to each other. And yet, you're sitting there having to uh, devote literally, you know, half your time uh, of uh, any visit to the documentation process. And if you don't do that, and if you don't do that properly, you're you're subject to financial penalties. So just a just one example of the regulations that I think drive down the the quality and the uh, value that healthcare can provide for people. Dr. Knight, as we wrap up our, our time together, I'm interested in your thoughts on how physicians can move from being a fungible commodity into leadership roles and, and bring forth a change and reform in the healthcare economy. Well, it's going to be tough. And I'll tell you, I, uh, um, I, I think the medical industrial complex, as I call it, whether that's large healthcare systems, whether that's the insurance, the health insurance industry, whether that's big pharma, all of that is so powerful and uh, just uh, monolithic that I think for physicians to push back and try to uh, fight against that and, you know, reestablish some of the more noble ideals that sent me to medical school and were realized by my people like my father. I'm not sure how much of that is going to happen, but I think, and, and again, maybe this is where my wide-eyed idealism comes into play, but I think if physicians uh, and other providers, frontline providers can band together, uh, as I say in the book, 
clinically integrate so that they overcome some of the defects in the healthcare system, and there are defects in the healthcare system, we're not perfect, and then focus on delivering high quality at low cost, there is a market out there for that. And it seems to be a market that, uh, again, those other players that I mentioned, pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies, large healthcare systems don't seem to be interested in uh, you know, trying to trying to play in. And I think if physicians can step up and say, hey, you know, if we can build this kind of a better mousetrap, uh, especially, you know, with government payers, for instance, who are going to say, wait a minute, you know, it's almost 20 percent of GDP now uh, with inflation. Who knows what it's going to be, uh, you know, in a year or so. And when you look at our performance as a, as a country uh, in terms of most indicators of, of health and wellness, we do not perform well uh, compared to other economically developed countries. So, you know, what are we going to do about that? I don't think we're going to have National Health Service, but I do think maybe uh, Medicare for all or Medicare Advantage for all type system may be the only way kind of out of this quagmire. And I think physicians would be smart uh, to argue and to push for a move in a more value-based model of care delivery and reimbursement. I'll let that be the last word. The book, which is a fascinating read, is Healthcare Economic Reform, How and Why Physicians Must Lead Change Within Our Evolving Healthcare Economy. My guest has been Dr. McKnight. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. My thanks to Dr. McKnight for his time and insights. His book, Healthcare Economic Reform, How and Why Physicians Must Lead Change Within Our Evolving Healthcare Economy, is a must read for anyone interested in healthcare reform. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Robin. Red Book of Power.